have hope will travel i'm your host katie axelson and today we are here with my good friend emily gallimore and i am so excited to share with you because emily brings so much joy and love to my life she is very fun to be around especially right now we are in florida and it's wonderful it's a little chilly today that's why we're inside podcasting but she is a great resource for me when i'm trying to figure out what's going on with my life and trying to put my life back together Um, Because Emily has built a community around herself where it's okay not to be okay. And it's okay to be yourself and it's okay to be fully you wherever you're at. And first of all, I just want to say I think that's a beautiful thing and I want to thank you for that. Um, And I would love to hear more from you about how you went about creating such an atmosphere and such a community because your friends are all over the place. And so what did that look like for you? That is a loaded question. To start off with, um, it is great being here in Florida, though. Uh, we're having a good time. And we did our beach time yesterday. Holla! So, I have always known I need a good community around me. And I have always been one to want to be fully me, even if it bucks the trend a little bit. Because I'm a little bit comfortable in that space. Although I'm not 100% certain of this, I'm pretty sure I'm an Enneagram 4, and I'm pretty sure that goes right along with that number. So there's that. But in terms of really intentionally needing a community that understands it's okay not to be okay, um, my mental health journey has probably been one that's gone up and down since I was a teenager. Um, I went through a grief period as a teenager after the death of a sibling. And then um, just because of personality and natural inclination, I struggled with anxiety around college age, uh, which is when I first started seeking medical attention. Then as I got older into my, uh, especially late 20s, um, really started seeking medical help through just primary care physician, antidepressants, medication, as well as therapy, uh, talk therapy. Mm -hmm. And I have always looked for people who support that. Um, whether that's in my real life, whether that's on social media, whether that's in my church life, whether that's in my work life, I tend to look for people who can support that. That's a beautiful way to build a community because I think that it's important to have those kinds of support around you and to be able to build that kind of support and to only allow those influences into your life is a great way to walk through life. To, to kind of eliminate the negativity negativity and those who aren't supportive of that. To bring into your inner circle those who are supportive of you where you're at. And that is important. What warning signs have you seen in yourself when it's time to address mental health? So big warning signs for me are when something that has historically been easy for me becomes hard. Um, one of my primary examples when I started really actively seeking help for the anxiety piece of things 
um, that I deal with was I was a youth leader for 10th grade girls and I loved them dearly, but I had an event one Saturday night where I was just a chaperone with several other adults and I literally found myself unable to do anything else that day all day long in anticipation of needing to go be a chaperone that night at the event. Um, And that is previously something that would not have been that hard for me, that would not have consumed all of my mental space so that I couldn't, I almost couldn't function and do anything else because I was filled with anxiety over what was going to happen that night. Um, So that's a super big warning sign to me when something that has previously been easy is hard. The other piece of things is, uh, especially more on the depression side, is when something that I previously loved no longer brings me any joy or fulfillment. Um, And I, I mean, I think one of those things that's really obvious is when I stop wanting to get together with people, um, especially my closest friends, when that starts to feel like something that I would rather say no to, that's a problem. Um, so th- those are two of the first big warning signs in me that it's time to address it and get some help for it. So you've spotted warning signs in yourself. What's the next step you take? I have an established relationship with a primary care physician who is aware of my history. And so at this point, it's easy for me to go into him and say, hey, something isn't quite right. Something's not working. Um, Even as recently as six months ago, when I realized that my thought processes were sort of getting out of whack again, it's easy for me to go hey, this is no longer my norm. Something that should be fairly easy for me is no longer easy for me. Something in my medication needs to be adjusted. And we work through that together. Whether that means he takes care of it or he refers me out to a psychiatrist to take care of it. Um, And then I also have an established relationship with a therapist at this point. And so I can go to her and say, here's what's happening that's new. And we need to talk through that. Um, The first time that I needed to be established, um, again, I just went straight to my primary care physician. Uh, He's familiar with my family history, so it's not necessarily a surprise when something's come up. But um, as far as finding a therapist, I went by recommendations of other people I knew in the counseling community or other professionals that I knew I could trust their recommendation. How did you know when you found a good therapist? I had a couple requirements for a therapist. One of the requirements, number one, I always wanted to be a licensed professional. Um, And there are some church-based counseling centers where you're not necessarily going to have those. So I would advocate for a licensed professional who has been through training, been through grad school, been through all of their hours to get their license. Um, And also, I always seek a Christian therapist. That doesn't necessarily mean that their practice has to be Christian-based, 
but they themselves need to be a believer because we need to be able to bring into the conversation that although I'm doing all of these good things for myself, um, from a physical standpoint, Jesus is my ultimate healer. And we need to talk about that. And we need to talk about how where I am in my relationship with him affects where my mental status can go. Not that one is dependent on the other necessarily, but they do affect each other. That's good. That's real good. How do you view the purpose of counseling and therapy? Do you, are they the same thing for you? Are they different? What is, what is the end goal when you're working with a therapist? It's a great question. Um, so I think that's, it can be a hard question to answer for people because our human brain wants to approach therapy as a way to fix it. I want to fix what's going on in me and I want a metric to know when I have fixed it. And that's not necessarily how therapy works. Um, Sometimes it does because sometimes there's an imminent crisis that you need specific tools to deal with. And that can end up looking like, okay, I fixed that situation. For me, what that looked like was um, I had a very severe allergic reaction um, several years ago that left me very anxious about food and especially eating out in restaurants. And so we specifically did some talk therapy around that, gave myself some tools for how to address it in the situation, how to prepare for going out to eat to make sure that I was less anxious about it. Um, and, and I would say that at the end of that season of counseling, we did fix the problem. Mm-hmm. But um, we are whole people who are going to struggle for our whole lives with various different things. And so to say that because I'm experiencing anxiety or because I'm experiencing depression or because those things are part of my life, I need to seek therapy to fix it, that may not be the best approach. So what we're aiming for is being further along on the journey towards healing and being more fully ourselves Uh, And being back to a place where I can appreciate who I am and I can be fully myself without being in crisis mode all the time. That can look different for different people and different scenarios and different seasons. Um, But I think it's just being further along in our healing journey and not feeling like we have to be perfect people at the end but that we have developed tools and processes to help ourselves on the journey. What kind of difference do you see in terms of managing mental health when it's like a circumstantial life is hard situation versus a little bit of more of a long-term, this is a disease that needs to be addressed kind of a situation? How is your approach? So I think there's a balance, and it's not a perfect balance, um, and it's not a perfect answer, but uh, I also have an autoimmune disease, and so a lot of times I know I have a bent towards anxiety and depression. I know that that's something that I'm likely going to struggle with over and over for the rest of my life just because of how I'm wired, 
uh, and how God made me. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, many of our great creatives have struggled with mental health for their entire lives. A lot of times that is how we process life and that is where some of our greatest ideas come from. So there is an element to, okay, there's this disease in the background that needs to be addressed and managed. And again, that can look different for different people. For me, that looks like medication and being on it longer term and being okay with that because that's one way that I manage the symptoms of the disease. However, there are also times in our life where life is just going to be hard and we're going to have bad circumstances. People are going to die. People are going to walk away. Our friendships are going to end. Our relationships are going to end. Life just gets really hard. And it is appropriate to grieve those seasons and grief often looks like depression and or grief results in depression. The approach can look the same. I would still advocate for talk therapy in that scenario, though that's not necessarily if you're going through one of those like harder circumstantial moments, that's not necessarily a reason to seek medication though it could be, that's something to be discussed with your doctor and or therapist. Um, But I would still advocate for talk therapy and just having a space to process what's happening and a space to say, I'm not okay with this and what's happened isn't okay. Because I think that's one of the hardest things that we have to address is giving ourselves permission to say, this is hard and this isn't okay. And I can fully believe that something was God's plan and it still hurts like crazy and I need to deal with my human emotions that come out of it. So it's okay to grieve and it's okay to be depressed in that and you just need someone to walk alongside you and help you process it fully. That's good. You made a good point in there that I don't want to just brush over. And you said, well, you made a lot of good points in there. But the one that I want to especially highlight is the idea of like grief is not just a death of a person. Grief grief can be, I mean, it can be a death of a pet, but it can also be a death of a dream or a death of a hope or a death of, of a relationship or a circumstance. Grief attacks us in a lot of different ways. And I think that it's powerful to have a counselor to walk through that with us. I heard Jenny Allen refer to counseling once as sometimes you have to pay somebody to be your friend. And I that resonated with me because I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense because there have been seasons of my life when I've needed to or wanted to pay someone to be my friend because you just need someone in your corner. And I think that that's a powerful thing to recognize both for myself and I know that you've walked through that as well. I do love that quote by Jenny Allen, although I would say predominantly your therapist is not actually your friend (laughs) and that shouldn't necessarily be the expectation that you walk into that room with um yes they might be your primary listener at that moment and your primary supporter and your primary helper but um a friend to me says there's going to be a reciprocal relationship and there is 100% not a reciprocal relationship in that space, nor should there be. And if you find a therapist, honestly, who tries to do that, you might want to seek another therapist because they're using you for something that they shouldn't be using you for. 
That's a good differentiation. Thank you. How do you know when you've reached a place that feels healthy? I think the answer to that question is different in different seasons. So I think one of the biggest indicators for me that I've reached a place that feels healthier, and I'm going to say healthier instead of healthy because healthy is not necessarily, like fully healthy is not necessarily my goal because I'm not going to be fully healthy and fully healed until heaven. So as I'm walking the human journey and walking towards healing, I find myself in a healthier place when, you know, I kind of go back to the things that I love, I love, and I'm able to enjoy them without analyzing them. I'm just able to be in the moment and enjoy them. And I'm able to be around people and enjoy their company. And the things that should be fairly easy are actually easy. And I mean, I'm, I'm mean things like getting out of bed and getting ready in the morning. Those become easier, the healthier you become. And I also think healthier for me looks like not living in crisis mode all the time where little things bother me so much that they become big things. Um, And I know that I'm moving towards a healthier space when the little things can stay little things and the big things are in their proper place. That's good. What does it look like for you when you're ending a therapeutic relationship? Maybe it wasn't the right fit. Maybe you are in a healthier place. What does that transition look like? Again, it looks different for different people. And different for different seasons. Um, But I have ended therapeutic relationships before where I did feel like I was at a good place. I didn't feel the need to go process all the time. I felt like I was in a healthy enough space that the processing that I needed to do could be done in context with friends and mentors in my personal life. I didn't need a professional any longer. Um, and typically what that looks like is you go less frequently at first. So whereas you might start off going once a week, then you go every couple of weeks, then maybe you go every three weeks, then maybe once a month. And after you've gone once a month for several months, you might both decide, you know, you're in a healthy space. Now, sometimes from that healthy space, I actually still enjoy counseling and therapy and I continue to go just because it's a great check-in for even when I'm healthy to stay that way and to keep having a place, again, where I can process the big things and I can keep the big things and little things in perspective. So sometimes that's all it is. It's a help for your perspective on what's going on and a place to process. And that's all you need from it. But it's also okay to end a relationship at that point and say, I'm okay for now. Obviously with the understanding that if at some point in the future, I'm not okay, I can come back. Um, It doesn't have to be a hard and fast rule of, okay, I'm going to be in counseling for a year and then not in counseling for a year. I think it's much less cut and dry than that. Um, And it's appropriate to be in a therapeutic relationship long-term. And it's also appropriate to say, 
I'm okay right now. And I'll call you when I need you again. Thank you for that. What are some of the ways that you take care of yourself beyond counseling? One of the first ways I stay healthy beyond counseling um, is staying in community. That's a big one for me. Um, And I don't necessarily mean a large community, but staying in touch with my, my people and my friends and really fostering those relationships. That's really big for me. Um, and another way is being careful with what I'm surrounding myself with. Um, and that looks like in-person community as well as social media community and content that I'm taking in. And that content can come, come in the form of books and TV and articles and movies and social media. Like there's a lot of content in our world right now. Oh, for sure. It's overstimulating. Sometimes we were trying to find something to watch last night on TV. And I was like, why is there an ad in the middle of the TV guide? I don't need an ad. I just need a list of shows. Is the list of shows not stimulating enough? Now we've got an ad in the middle of it. So how do you protect what you see on your feed? So I'm going to talk really specifically at this point um, about my Instagram feed. It's my preferred social media platform. It's where I go for most of my content. Um, And I have been very careful, especially in recent months, to curate the content to meet the needs of where I am right now. So for me right now, that looks like if I'm struggling with something specific, not putting that content in front of me all the time. So really um, simple example, but also significant. I'm single. It's not always the best to see a bunch of photographers post wedding photos every day if I'm struggling with my singleness. There are seasons where it's fine. I can handle that. I have the emotional bandwidth to see that content all the time. There are other seasons, like right now, where that's harder for me. And so I am careful to say, you know what? It's not that the content that they're putting out is bad. It's not. It's great content. They're doing exactly what they're called to do right now. But I'm called to be content where I am. And so I need to foster that contentment by curating my feed to not put that content in front of my face all the time because it's going to lead to discontent in myself. That's solid. That's real solid. You've got a very deliberate approach to the minimalism that you've got in the midst of the endless scrolling. Um, I know for me personally, my approach has been a little bit different. I try to avoid the endless scrolling. And if I find myself on social media, I figure out what purpose am I here for? Am I here to engage with somebody? Am I here because I need a minute to breathe? Am I here because I just don't know what else to do? And so what does it look like? Why am I here? And what does it look like to change where I find myself? So I've set timers on my phone, limiting the amount of time I can spend on social media. And I'm going to take your advice as well. And there are quite a few people I need to go on follow. Because what I'm seeing on their feed, again, is perfect for them, but is not what my heart needs right now. And those change in different seasons, and I'm glad you pointed that out as well. 
because I think that we need to be aware that our needs change. And somebody that we followed five years ago, did social media, Instagram exist five years ago? I don't know. Someone we followed five months ago may not be who we need to be following today. And so permission for yourself to unfollow them and to that because the internet is weird, sometimes it's actually helpful to them if we unfollow them. Yeah. And so we've talked about this before that we are very different in our approach to social media and to Instagram because I don't set a time limit for myself at this point. Um, And I do enjoy engaging with that content a lot. That actually brings me a lot of joy to engage with content in that space. And so I don't want to limit that. I just want to limit who I'm putting in front of me. Um, and, and, and even like you said, I think the biggest thing we can do for ourselves on social media is permission to unfollow. There is no one committing you to following someone, even that, you know, in real life, if their content is harmful to you, and that's not necessarily that their content is bad, but if it's stirring up something in you that's harmful to you, unfollow. And that doesn't mean that you have to unfollow them forever. Uh, But we do have the power to choose. And so I'm very careful with my feed that um, right now I'm in a season where I particularly enjoy content that feels peaceful and calming and content that encourages margin and white space. And so I'm going to intentionally follow the people that are working towards that goal and that purpose and unfollow people that feel more chaotic to me. And, and sometimes that means unfollowing people that I actually really do love their content. It's just not right for me right now to be faced with it every single day when I'm trying to engage in content and, and a little bit using my Instagram feed, um, to have it curated in such a way that I'm, almost giving myself an example of who I want to be. I know that's important for me in this season to embrace peace and to embrace calm. And so I'm going to surround myself with a social media community that values that so that I can encourage myself to be that. That's good. As someone who needs to find more peace and calm in my life, how do I find you on social media? I am on Instagram at Emily Eliza Studio. And I will be the first to say that my content is not consistent. I do not practice what I preach necessarily. (laughs) And um, I have had days of coaching other bloggers and Instagrammers and influencers on how to post. And I do not follow my own advice. So I, you're not going to see a post every day for me. You might not even see a post every week for me. My stories go up when I feel like it. But the content that I share, I share on purpose. And so you know that if I'm sharing something, I have thought about it and considered it. And I fully believe it brings value to the world. And that's why I'm going to post it. I actually think that's a really important differentiation. Because I think we get caught up in the, I feel obligated to post, I have to post every day, blah, 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 blah. And I think sometimes that's when the content that's not as good comes out. The content that is not who we want to be and what we want to represent. So thank you for admitting that you don't post every day. And I need to take a leaf out of that book too. So 
let's say we've got a friend listening to this right now who is trying to figure out what some very practical next steps are. They've listened to our conversation. They've said, okay, a lot of that really resonates. The conversation about mental health, the conversation about social media. What are some really practical next steps that they can take? I would say really practically, if you feel like you're in a space where you're kind of questioning, is my mental health okay? If you're even questioning that, I would say that's time to do something about it. So reach out to someone, even if it's just your best friend that you say, hey, I'm struggling. Have that conversation. Sometimes it's a hard conversation. It's vulnerable. It, it's not easy, but it's so very worth it. Just tell someone. That in and of itself can be such a huge relief because you aren't hiding anymore. And we shouldn't have to hide from it. We all struggle. We're all people. Um, we're all imperfect. And we all have seasons that are just really hard. So tell someone about it. Um, and I would say start in the context of your community and your friends. Because ultimately, even if you're working with professionals, they're going to be the ones walking with you every day. So tell someone who's walking with you every day. Um, but beyond that, if you feel like, hey, therapy might be something that I really could get a lot out of, start asking people in your life, hey, have you ever gone to therapy? Do you have a recommendation for me? Um, a good place to start can be church staff. Um, your pastors may have recommendations for you, um, but also just people that you're in community with. You may be surprised at who has had a therapeutic relationship with people that they can recommend either an individual or a practice. Um, I would also say a good place to look is if you are in a community that has a seminary with a counseling program, they often have recommendations from their program, um, either their own graduates or who they recommend to their graduates. Um, and so that's another good place to start. So I would just say, if you feel like you need it, pursue it. And don't let yourself hide in shame because it's not shameful. It's the best thing you will do for yourself. Um, therapy has been my greatest life choice. And I repeat that mantra to many people often. Um, even on my good days, therapy is my greatest life choice. Um, and then as far as, you know, if you feel like you approach social media, whether that be Instagram or your preferred platform, and you sense yourself either feeling anxious when you look at content or discontent or panicky or if you start to feel insufficient, um, check who you're following. And honestly, for me, the first time that I intentionally curated my Instagram feed, I literally just went to my list of people that I followed and I went down the list. And if I couldn't identify someone on the list, if I couldn't remember what they even post, I unfollowed them. If I was questionable, I went to their profile, I looked at their current content, and I made a decision whether or not that content was healthy for me right now. And I unfollowed a lot that way. And don't be afraid to do that because Instagram or social media in general, it's yours. 
to do with what you want. You are not obligated to follow anyone. So take the control back there and be purposeful and intentional with it. And um, yeah, be willing to unfollow people that aren't bringing you joy or on again, on the flip side, if they're making you discontent, unfollow uh, and be really intentional with the content that you're putting in front of you. That's really good. I will add one thing on the where to find a therapist thing. Look at your employer and your benefits because a lot of companies have employee assistant programs that will allow you free or discounted counseling sessions. I know that the cost is a lot of times a prohibitor for people or at least it's a prohibitor they think is prohibiting them from being able to pursue counseling. But with an employee assistance program, sometimes you get different options and you still have to do the legwork of like finding a counselor who's going to um, match your worldview, who's going to, uh, because I'm a Christian, who's going to represent my same Christian values. But my employee assistance program is helpful in making sure that, that everything is less expensive than it needs to be. Yeah, I fully agree with that. The other thing is just because you see a therapist price um, doesn't necessarily mean that that's what they will charge you. A lot of therapists do have a sliding scale based on income. And so if your income is less, your price per hour is going to be less. And they a lot of times will work with you on that because they see the value in what's happening and they want you to pursue healing and don't want that to be an obstacle. Yeah, that's a good call out. That is a very good call out. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciated getting to sit here and to chat with you. We can find you on Instagram at Emily Eliza Studio. Look forward to seeing that sporadic content whenever it hits your heart. Um, thank you very much.